Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Roka Report podcast in association with the Sunderland Community Soup Kitchen. It's Gav back after the Blackpool game, Sunderland drew one all away at Bloomfield Road with uh, a team we maybe thought we could beat, but it was a tough game, it was a strange game, different things happened in the first half which made you maybe think we might not win this, second half much better from us and maybe at the end of the game the lads will have came off thinking they should have won it. And joining me today to talk about it is Chris Wynn. Hiya, mate. Hello, Gav. Happy New Year, mate. Yeah, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to the listeners. I think it's a Happy New Year anyways. I'm feeling pretty positive. I'm a lot more positive than I was at half time. I was at half time a little bit despondent, but I did have faith in the players and their ability and the manager actually to turn it round. Uh, yet again, it was the substitutes which made a difference. I think Abdullah Bar coming on made a huge difference to us. But the game as a whole, Chris, what do you think about it? How do you think we played? All that good stuff. Do you think it's a good point? Yeah, on balance of the game, we'll take it. I think I think we'll definitely take a point on the basis of the game. But you know, before the game, as I was doing the preview, I felt like I did before the Wigan game, where I just thought these are there for the taking. Um, at their place, you know, I think they'd they'd lost eight out of thirteen or something this season. They hadn't won in nine. I ju- I just thought, I just felt like we should be getting three points. And but but like I said, on the balance of the game, you know, you can go into the game of two offs and all that sort of stuff because it was that that's exactly how it was. I thought uh, Blackpool were were well worth their lead at half time, which had had me worried, and you hoped uh, Mowbray was gonna kind of earn his coin at half time. But yeah, like I said, on the balance, I'll take a point based on the game. Yeah, I think I think I'm with you there. It's just a case, you know. Sometimes when you go away from home, things don't necessarily start well. You've just got to sometimes you just take it. You know, the home team are going to have good spells in the game. They're going to be on top. And at half time, if you'd offered me a point, I would have took it. So, yeah. you know, I mean, we'll go into the intricacies of the game. But yes, I am disappointed we haven't won because I think we did enough. But I imagine there are Blackpool fans at half time who were thinking they were going to win the game. By the end, they might be thinking, you know. We could have put that game away when Sunderland were at the weakest because they could have, you know. There were points in that first half where they were well on top. I think we're not really used to teams pressing us like that. And in the first half, Blackpool pressed and pressed and gave us no time on the ball and it worked because they'd obviously watched the last game, seen Michu and Neil in that game have so much time on the ball and be able to dictate the way things went. They gave them no time and it wasn't a fault of our players, I think, Blackpool just had a game plan and executed it pretty well. So, you know, come half time, I'm sat there thinking, 
were probably a little bit lucky actually it's only one nil because if Blackpool had really turned it on they could have maybe had another one but like I say I was of full belief that coming out of the break we would we would improve because we've done it so many times and we, we we've got a good team I know that I think somebody pointed out on Twitter we were missing eight players which isn't talked about a lot really but we were missing a lot of players I think if you include Sims in that total as a player who you know in the last game started isn't here anymore eight players missing we still fielded a team which looked really strong we had options on the bench who could change things and look it, it's a good point I, I think my dad always says it any point away from home is a good point and I think although you could argue on the balance of play we were the better team I just I don't know. I'm pretty happy with the point. <laughs> I would I wouldn't say I mean a, a good point. I, I know kind of I'm splitting airs, but I wouldn't say it's, it's a good point. It's a point, and I'll take it. But I'm a little bit frustrated that we didn't take all three. You know, it's just one of those games where oh, yeah. you thought yeah. you thought beforehand. We, you know, I, I thought we should be taking three points. Okay, yeah, they had most of the first half, but you know, looking at it, it didn't really create anything, and we had so many close calls. You know where we just didn't play the right pass at the end, and all, which I'm sure we'll get into in that second half. Yeah. But I mean, but I mean, yeah. Just going into that first half, yeah. You said Blackpool had a plan, and they did, and they clearly watched us. You know, Appleton's no mug. He he had a plan. He watched us. He saw how Neil and Mishu can run the show, and he put he put players in to block the passes that were that were going to go through to them in in midfield. So what that meant was when Ballard Wright or Nine had the ball at the back. Because they couldn't knock it into the middle to Neil and Mishu, it meant we couldn't get any tempo going. And at the yeah. first half, we were just so slow. Be- and it, and it, was, it was because of Blackpool's plan. But at the same time, even when we did have easy 10-yard passes on, we didn't either play the right pass or we, we were sloppy with them. And we weren't yeah. fizzing them. We weren't fizzing them into people's feet. They were too s- slow. Some of them just went out of play. People weren't. And, and it, it felt a little bit like, and I'm sure these games are difficult, but it felt a little bit like after the Wigan game, we thought that it, this would be similar. Because let, let's face it, look, as well as we played, Wigan were awful the other night. And I think we turned up to Blackpool thinking it would be similar, where Blackpool would just be awful as well. But Blackpool were better than Wigan and they were more organised than Wigan. And it took us just too long to wake up. And, and we did eventually, uh, thankfully. But yeah, we, we were just sloppy in the first half. Yeah, it's possibly worth mentioning that uh, I think it, it's gone round that um, there's a virus maybe hit the squad. I think there was a number of players out there today had um, the old vapor rub on their shirts and stuff who were maybe struggling with a bit of illness. And although you can't use that as an excuse for a for a poor performance necessarily all round, I think we did look a little bit sloppy and tired and just... It wasn't that we weren't working hard. There was just a couple of occasions where I was watching players who are normally really at it. Ross Stewart, actually, probably probably in that first half, who's normally really at it and he just wasn't. And it wasn't because he wasn't trying. I don't know. Maybe, maybe he's he's carrying something or I've got a bit of an illness. But I think whatever the case may be, second half, once we made changes, we did improve. And that was the important thing. And you could see who was struggling on the... I think Misha, Misha was really good on Thursday. In this game, uh, not so good. And when he got booked that, that really limited how effective he could be. There was a couple of times where Blackpool were basically just running through him because he couldn't make a tackle. He had to let them ride it. And it was at that point where I was thinking, we've we've got to get him off and make a change. And um, like I said before, though, Chris, you know, we've got players on the bench who can make an impact. Even though we're missing eight players, 
I was still looking at that bench and thinking, well, if Barr comes on, if Benetti comes on, we still have lads there who can do something. And Barr had a really good game the other night. I know he went off injured, so that's maybe why he didn't start this one. But he came on, and his presence on the pitch totally lifted us. Players like Diallo got better. Clark, who'd been poor at that point for me, improved. Roberts was a bit more involved. It was just because we had a little bit more energy on the pitch. And, it, you know, when we, we are going to have lads struggling in games and it's nice to have that option from the bench isn't it yeah well I mean you're talking about eight players missing but if you look at that 11 and look at the players yeah. we had out I don't I don't think I'd see so that a ton of changes that I'd say oh you know we're missing you know we badly missed him him and you know x y and z probably more in terms of shape isn't it if you look at the shape well, of the team I, th- I think if if we did if we have Elise and Sirkin available we don't play a three at the back with Clark wing back because it, it we, we do look a little imbalanced so that's maybe the diff. But but yeah. I, I said this on I said this the other day when I was talking to Martin. To me, it doesn't matter who you put on the pitch now with this team; they all just get on with it. Yeah, well, uh, you're right about that imbalance. And I, I, we're talking just before we came on that I, it looked like a kind of it looked like a lopsided three at the back, or almost five at the back, whichever way you want to look at it. Where Hume was kind of that de- more defensive on the right hand side, which meant yeah. Clark didn't have to do the same job as Hume on the left-hand side. And that meant O'Nine was... He was kind of in the middle of playing as that left-hand side centre-half and full-back. And he was kind of trying to do both jobs and, and we'll probably come on to it, but that's kind of where the, the goal came from, that kind of weirdness yeah. on that left-hand side where Clark was trying to push up and O'Nine was trying to push up as well and play alongside him and we were trying to attack down that side. But just on, on Mishu, I mean, we, we might come back onto it when we talk about the, the second half of the change, but... I I was quite surprised that he was in the eleven because I think one of the lads posted a picture um in the chat of um Michu on Instagram after the Wigan game and he had stud yeah. marks all down his leg and all this sort of stuff and Michu's hardly played any football this season and every every footballer you hear talking about playing Saturday Tuesday Saturday Tuesday in the Championship talk about how tough it is and you're talking about probably well you know teams like Wigan and Blackpool are going to try and kick lumps out of you. And I was surprised that Michu played. We started two games off the bounce, only a few days in between. Yeah, I thought I thought Matetti might have come in because I'm, you know, I mean, I think you did a piece on the site the other day talking about where you know where's Matetti gone, and Michu kind of looked tired. He looked like he played a game a couple of days before. Um, in that first half, you know, I, I was just surprised that he made the start in eleven again. Yeah, I've given up trying to work out what's going on with Jamie Tetty and he's clear he's just not fancied for whatever reason. Um I'd love to see him start more games. I agree with you. I think it's important to keep things fresh. But it is what it is at the minute. I don't know. The man just got his reasons. I don't really expect Matetti to see out the month at Sunland. I think by the end of it he'll be on loan somewhere. And it's a shame. But um I would like to see him get his chance. Unfortunately he didn't start this one. I do sort of understand the the thinking here because um, although Blackpool were pretty physical, the midfield isn't the biggest. I thought, well, he maybe thought we can get about them in the same way we did the other night. So he's went with Neil and Michu, who both played really well the other day. But I think when you look at the, the, the bench options, Evans was on there. Is he fit? I don't know. I mean, we're naming, I mean, we named Chris Rigg on the bench, who was a kid. I'm wondering if many, if any of them lads on the bench were actually fit enough to be there. I mean, Barr went off injured the other day you're looking at it and thinking, you know, we are pretty much down the bare bones, even though it's a good team. We've got probably a good 14 or 15 there where you would think, well, that that's a competitive team. 
we are down to the bare bones. You know, we are missing a lot of players, and maybe that's a little bit. I don't think Tony Mowbray will ever fully reveal everything about his team because he doesn't want every manager to know who's ill, who's carrying knocks, and all the rest of it. So you know, you you you're probably talking about quite a fair few of them lads out there would probably either playing with knocks or tiredness just through playing so much football over a short period of time, illness like I said before, which has apparently gone through the squad, yet. You know, across the 90 minutes, we were competitive. I mean, let's quickly run through the team. Um, no major surprises. Patterson started in goal, as he always does. Bailey Wright held his place in the middle of the three with O'Neill on the left of him, Ballard on the right. O'Neill played more like a left-sided player than he normally does, which was interesting. Like an overlapping centre-half, more, you know, he's been more a traditional defender recently, but yeah, playing on the left side there. Clark ahead of him um, is the wing-back, which... Other than Diaco, there's probably nobody else can play there, so that was a given. Neil and Michaud, as we've already discussed in the middle, with Hume as the right wing-back. Uh, Hume holding his position again, nobody else to compete with him, but we'll get on to him because he was outstanding. Uh, Roberts started in place of Barr, who I say probably had a knock from the last game, but Roberts did really well when he came on, so no major shock there. Stuart starting in place of Sims, who's gone back to Everton. And then Ahmad on the right, so no major surprises there, was there? I think that's pretty much, if we... If we'd known the squad he had available, that's pretty much the team we would have all picked. Blackpool, on the other hand, dropped their top scorer, which I found really weird. I don't know if that's got anything to do with the fact he's been linked with Sunderland in recent days. I don't know if there's anything more to it we don't know about, but it was a bit strange to see him not start the game. Regardless, like I say, they started the game really well. They were all over us. I think you saw us trying to do what we're good at. We tried to play through the lines. We tried to get the ball to a mad in the final third, but... It was tough at times because they just pressed us so well. And I'll always say this about this team, they never give up. Even when they play poorly, you never watch them and think they've given up there. And even when Blackpool had their little spells of of domination, we were trying. When we did get the ball, we were trying to do what we're good at. But like we said earlier, I think Appleton's game plan was pretty good in that first half. Yeah, it was. But I think, again, just talking about that first half, there was too big a gap between you had Neil and Mishu picking the ball up when they did up finally get it. But there seemed like to be a too big a gap. And I think I think with Ahmad and Roberts, they weren't kind of holding positions. So it wasn't like, right, you know, it wasn't talk, you know asking Roberts to, to hold the touchline on one side and Ahmad to hold the touchline on another. So the problem is when they looked up, they were, you know, they were kind of, changing positions and kind of, you know, going from one side, drifting from one side to the other. So it wasn't the same out ball all the time. And I think that was part of the, the change in the second half where they, they were kind of the held more of their positions so players knew where they could pick them up. The, the thing is as well, players like Ahmad, Stewart as well, you can put in this bracket, and, and Roberts, when they're not in the game for quite a while, they end up coming deeper and deeper and deeper. And in the first half, that that's kind of what happened. Ahmad came looking in our own half of the ball uh, Stewart did at times. At times, it, Stewart was picking the ball up off the centre half. At times, he got so frustrated. Yeah. But when we do that, we've got to, you know, we've got to try and stop that from happening. You know, Neil and Mishu have got to do their job and say, look, that that's our job. You you play twenty yards in front of us, so we can pick you out. But. It just came in the first half. It all got a bit confused. It was all a bit sloppy. Um, I think you know it kind of felt like everybody in the crowd a bit kind of hungover and a bit jaded, and they just needed kind of a, a a Tony Mowbray team talk to to make them come round. Give us a second. Dogs are growling at each other. I can just sense it. it's about to kick off. I, I was I was like thinking. I hope Chris talks for another minute. I was, 
I saw you looking around. I didn't know what was going on. There he is. <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> you can just sense a kickoff about to happen. One of them was waiting at the door and the other one was about, just came in. I went, oh, fuck. Just hold right, him out the, the window. <laughs> Callum Connolly got booked eight minutes in and I know we'll probably get into this because he got sent off at the end of the game. But I don't know about you, but I, I think he was really lucky not to get sent off in that first half. I'm amazed it went all the way at the end of the game because he made three or four tackles in the first half, which were yellow card worthy. And I think because he got booked so early in the game, the ref was lenient with him. And things like that do interest us because by the end of the game, the ref had seen enough and sent him off. And I think, you know, if the ref hadn't been lenient and thought, well, I've given him a yellow, I'll give him a couple of chances, and they go down to 10 men in that first half, it's a, probably a different game, isn't it? You know, I know it could have, would have, should have, it didn't happen. But given he ended up getting sent off for a it was a, well it was definitely a yellow card foul that he got sent off for in the end of the second yellow i just it does frustrate us a little bit i think the ref actually ref the game really well generally but i just think with with this Connolly thing i, I think that'll frustrate tony Mowbray because he'll probably have been stood there thinking he should have been off maybe an hour ago <laughs> and yeah. it, it i mean i know you, you, you there's both sides because it probably happens with us occasionally i think we've been lucky Maybe you could you could probably make a case for Michu. You know, there's another Michu got booked 19 minutes into the game for a for a tactical foul, which was funny because Luke O'Neill applauded it. I don't know if you caught that on the camera, but he I think you he heard a mouth going nice nice foul or something like that and clapping him. But Michu got that yellow card 19 minutes in, and he was the op, he was the opposite to Connolly in that he just he didn't want to take he didn't want to make another tackle in the game, and that limited his effectiveness. Where Connolly. Kept putting them daft tackles. He, to be honest, he was just rubbish. That mm. that that was that. It was it wasn't because he was a dirty bugger. He was just rubbish. But I, I think they were very very lucky not to go down to ten men with him. Well, I, I think it, it's such a. I've said it before, but I think it's such a strange season with referees. They're learning basically how to referee again, almost because of the the directives that came in last summer, where they've almost been told to try and let all of the things that they probably would have blew for last season just go. And, yeah. and now they, they only give a free kick pretty much if someone's absolutely smashed someone. And that that's when you get a free kick. It's, it, it, it Now the bar is set so high, it's got to be completely obvious to be a free kick or a yellow card and all yeah. that sort of stuff. So I've, I've got some, some sort of sympathy with the referees. I think it's the right way to go, but we're seeing lots of problems this season with referees trying to be consistent with that. And actually, with the referee, the referee today, I think, um, I think he actually gave most things to us. There was a few fifty-fifties that I was thinking, oh, hang on, which way is that going to go? And most of the most of them went to us, and most of the throwings went to us. But, uh, but no, I, I, no, I, I think it was one of them. It could have went either way. I think we got away with a couple of things. They did. I, I didn't, I didn't notice it. I have to admit. So I, I'm, I'm not going to be too fussed about it. Mm. Minutes later, after the the Michu, uh yellow card, which I mentioned. Blackpool took the lead. Frustrating one from me. I think we were no, no, nobody in that defence came off well, but Bailey Wright gets two chances to clear it and misses both of them. I mean, we we just before we recorded, me and you were looking at the position. You were asking about Luke O'Nine because he's three quarters of the way up the pitch. You've got Bailey Wright five yards inside of their half, which to me is just weird because yeah. he's the slowest player on the pitch. Why is he that high up the pitch? Um, if he is, though, he's got to win the ball because he knows he hasn't got the pace to chase back. And he misses two cracks at it. They get in behind. 
it forces Ballard to come across from the right to the left, which totally opens up the defence. Hume's all at sea. 0-9, like I say, is way up the pitch. And Shane Lavery scores, and there's not really much you know, Patson can do. He tries to narrow the angle down. But it's just a really disappointing goal from a defensive perspective because so many avoidable mistakes just in that one short space of time, really, from our defence. And positionally, when you're playing a back three, you know, I think your back three, they can't afford to go roaming too much because you, exactly what happened happens. You've got Ballard coming across from right centre-half to the left to try and make a tackle to cover for Luke O'Neill, who's way out of position, all because Bailey Wright missed the ball twice. And it, yeah, just a really frustrating goal, wasn't it? Awful. Absolutely. It was just just an awful goal to concede. Um, and it was a symptom of how we were in that. I mean, twenty minutes in, the goal came, and it was it was just it was just awful. And like he said that it was a nothing ball, really. He said Bailey Wright was completely out of position. Luke Nine was complete. Luke Nine was kind of level with Jack Clark, which was ridiculous. Um, on that left hand side, as I said, Bailey Wright was pushed far too far forward. Um, and then he missed the ball. Ballard then, I mean, had a chance to completely wipe him out. I mean, either take the man, the ball, take everything, do something, you know, because, you know, they're going through on goal. Hume, I thought, could have come round quicker just to give him something to think about. You know, Hume was more concerned about what was in the middle, which was fine. But, you know, if the fella just goes and scores, then what's the point? And yeah. you, you talked about, you mentioned Patterson. I, I, you know, my notes at the time was I, I thought he's poor. I thought he could have come out quicker. He could have spread himself. And he kind of just waited for the ball to be played past him. And I, I, yeah. I, I don't know. I thought his effort was kind of... I don't know. It just it just seemed nothing, as if he wasn't kind of there. I just thought he should have. I think he should have bolted out and completely spread himself and given something really to think about. He kind of yeah. It's a, it's a strange one though, isn't it? Because there's three. There's three. He made his mind up for him. Though. Yeah. Well, if you look though, there's three Blackpool players coming into the box as well. I don't know whether he's thinking he's got to hold his. He's just got to hold his position in case they square it. It's yeah, a weird okay. one, like. But I, I I agree. I agree. I think him. The entire sort of defense, oh, yeah. really. No, yeah. Nobody comes off well from that. No, um, and and I know I know we have been better defensively recently, but given the amount of injuries we've got to defend us, changing the shape all the time, changing the personnel all the time, it isn't helpful. Like I mean, sometimes it can be useful because we'll get onto it. But like Trey Hume, brilliant, and he would have wouldn't have gotten a chance had Gooch not got injured. But the other side of it is that we've got no left actual left backs. We've got no left wing backs. We've went to a shape which suits what we've got available. And positionally, when you get caught on the hop, that's the only thing with I've, I've found we've played this system quite a lot, pretty much since Parkinson was manager. And the only big issue I've ever had with it is when you break forward, you're very susceptible because those lads in the wing-back positions, big part of their job is to get forward. And when, the, when they're not you know, focusing completely on defending, it leaves big gaps. But talking about what I mentioned earlier on, I think some of the position was to do with our mentality of going to, to Blackpool, just like we went to Wigan. I, ju- I just think the players with the run and run, you know, their egos up, their tails are up. And I just thought the players thought we needed to turn up to Blackpool and we were going to turn them over, which meant going into the game with that sort of mentality. You know, if you look at where Luke O'Nine was, if you look at where Bailey Wright was, instead of trying to, force ourselves on the game we were just kind of trying to push forward thinking oh well we're going to get this goal we're going to get this goal and forgetting that actually we're in a game with Blackpool who were fighting for their lives down the bottom and I just thought we were 15 yards too far forward and we just needed to settle and get ourselves into the game and we paid the price the rest of the first half we 
didn't get a lot better really we were pretty poor our thoughts didn't really do anything to deserve to get back into the game it's a couple of times where Ahmad got on the ball and he looked dangerous I know you know generally if we're talking about a performance over 90 minutes I don't think he actually played too badly he was pretty much our only threat in that first half but yeah going into half time I had no complaints I thought you know, although we tried hard, we, we've seen this a few times with away games where we feel like going into it, we've got the chance to win yeah. and then we have a really poor first half. And I know we can't be, we, obviously we, we can't expect this team to be brilliant every week. But yeah, I think we were just a little bit off first half. Yeah, well, well that's it. I, th- I said earlier on, I think Blackpool were well worth their lead at, at half time. But I think it took us about 35 minutes for the Blackpool keeper to actually make a save. Um, which kind of tells a story in itself that we just didn't create anything. We just were, were completely off the boil. Um, but the only thing I would say was talking about chances. I mean, yes, I, I do think Blackpool deserved their lead, but uh, Ahmad hit the bar. Yeah, just before half time, wasn't it? Yeah, just before half time. And again, good work by Hume. He he was kind of shown already in that first half. Um, he was having a good game. But uh, but yeah, you couldn't. You had no complaints at half time. No, the you just mentioned Hume. That's probably worth mentioning his first half because he, although you know his chief role in the team isn't to be a provider. There were three or four balls in the box he played, which were really good. That just, the Blackpool defence just cleared or, you know, maybe another couple of inches and it probably would have landed on Stuart Head. Like, his delivery is brilliant and I've been really impressed with him because he's came into the team, like I said before, fortunately really, because if, if Gucci had been fit, he wouldn't have started any of these games. Came into the team, he's shown why the manager needs to keep him around because there are a lot of people who thought he might get loaned out. And I mean, when we talk about the, the equaliser later, we'll probably comment on this a bit more. But his performance generally, I just think as an attacking threat, he was really good. We, I, I love players who just get the ball and hit the ball early into dangerous areas. Like, not every player on the pitch needs to try and do a step over, you know, a chop inside. They need to try to take it round the defender. He knows he knows that he isn't going to be able to do that all the time. He'll shape the fullback up, and he'll cross it early and. Probably my favourite crosser of the ball as a Sunderland fan was Nicky Summerby. And he was an absolute pro at that. He didn't have to take his man on. He would just hit it nice and early and put it into dangerous areas because he knew the lads in the box were good and that they get on the and that's that's something I think we need to learn as a team a little bit more, is they know how good Ross Stewart is, so we don't always have to overplay it. Sometimes simple is is effective and I think we saw that we got little glimpses of what Hume can do in that first half with just nice early balls in, you know, and maybe, yeah, they didn't come off, but eventually it felt like one would. Uh, Trey Hume is a perfect example of why players need a run in the side. Because yeah, when, when he yeah. when he first when he first came into the side, you saw he was a bit tentative and he played the easy ball because he was a bit, you know, I don't want to make any mistakes, I want to stay in the side. And the more games he's had for, under his belt, the better he's looked. And I just think with every game he's playing for Sunderland, he's getting better and better. And actually, I, I just hope, and we've got options, which is great, but I just hope, I'd like to see Hume get more and more games just to see where he goes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I, think, I've, I think I've said this quite a lot, really. I just, every time I've seen him, he's impressed us. Like I've, never, I've never watched Hume and thought, God, he's way out of his depth. And even though, I, I know he... When he when Mowbray first came in, or it might have been Alex Neal, I can't remember. Maybe both of them had been asked about Trey Hume and had said, you know, his time will come. He, I think it was Mowbray said, I've told him he needs to work hard every day so that when he does get his chance, he's ready. I think it was something along the lines of, you know, Gucci's in the team because Gucci at the time was playing pretty well, and he said something along the lines of, you know, Gucci's playing really well, so he's coming to me and he, 
he's asking questions of when he's going to get a chance and what I've told him is just to be ready because you will get your chance eventually and when you do you need to be able to affect games and that's what I'm, that's sort of what you're saying from Hume now he got a chance a little bit of fortune came into the team and now I'm sitting here thinking if Gooch was fit for the next game you couldn't justifiably drop Hume now because in the last two or three games especially he's been great what that Birmingham game before the World Cup he started that one right back and he was he was great in that game too. He's never let himself down. And for me, I think you're you're bang on what you just said. He's a great example of why players need a run in the team. But he's also a great example of the the collective work ethic of the squad in that he hasn't sat and sucked. He's probably been really pissed off. He's come here and not played, really. And Matete is probably in this bracket too of a player who's just sort of had to sit and watch other players get opportunities ahead of them. And he could have quite easily sucked. He could have quite easily put his head down, you know, gone out the door. And he, he might still go in January, but, you know, he's made it very difficult for Mowbray now to justify even letting him go. He's, he's got to be saying to him, look, I've, you've put us in the team. I've played brilliantly and I don't want to go anywhere. I want to be the first choice right back at this team. And for me, he, he, as much as I, I admire Lyndon Gooch, and I think he's had a canny season actually, Generally speaking, I think Hume is a. You can see he's a specialist in that position where, and it's fine margins in the championship. It's a tough league, and we're winning games. And I just think if you've got a lad there who's shown a bit of promise, let's let's get behind him and give him a proper chance. Yeah, but it, it shows. I mean, a lot of a lot's been spoken recently about our squad, and I know the window's open today. Hopefully, we're going to come out of it with a with a better squad than what we went into it. But what we've built over the last what eighteen months. You know, you're talking about Hume waiting in the wings for his chance and then he's taking it. You know, if Hume, you know, now Hume's taking his chance and he's in the side, the same's going to be true of Gooch. And he, he's got to be ready because at some point, Hume will need to be either brought out, he's going to take a knock, he's going to be suspended, he's just going to need a rest because that, that's what yeah. the championship's like. And, and Gooch has got to be ready. And I think at the minute, you look at the squad and there's only really kind of Stuart that you, you you turn around and say, well, we haven't really got anybody in that position who would be ready. But every, all other departments, you say, well, you think we've got somebody ready and, and they would just slot into to this team if someone needs to come out. Yeah. So the second half then was uh, much better, wasn't it? I think we came out, we, we improved a lot. We were the better team. But we actually saw the big improvement when I think probably around the hour mark when Misha goes off a bar. Although we did have a really good chance 50-odd minutes in where um, Ahmad cut inside onto his left foot and tried to curl it across the goalkeeper. Before the game, I checked the tweet that Blackpool put out about their team and their fans were raging that Maxwell was starting. But he always seems to play well against us, their keeper. <laughs> and yeah, I actually think he had a really good game today as well. And it, it's a it's a good strike from Ahmad, which he tips round. I think it, it felt like he could be one of the afternoons where he frustrated us again. And off the corner, he did well again because I think there was a header that came in and it looped up in the air. And I think he kind of saved it again, but it was right on the line. But yeah, just typical. We have a we have a keeper that the opposition fans don't rate, and he, he has a blind. <laughs> yeah, I always think back to Richard Kingston for Black for Blackpool. Actually, ironically. <laughs> That that day when I don't know if you remember that game at the Stadium of Light, mm. who can't? I think we had thirty odd shots and we got beat two nil. And yep. Kingston, who was the he was a laughing stock of a goalkeeper, played like prime Buffon. <laughs> <laughs> we yeah we lost two nil, but um, yeah. So like I said before, Bar came on for Misha, which wasn't a surprising change. 
I think Michu, a lot of people at half-time wanted him to come off. He was given the benefit of the doubt, which is, to be honest, that's a trait of Mowbray, isn't it? He never he never seems to flog players. He'll always give them 10, 15 minutes to, to turn it round. But just, I actually think Michu was a little bit better. He had, he had a spell of about five minutes just before he went off where he played actually really well. The problem was the same as it was in the first half, though. He, if he made another bad tackle, he was getting sent off. And he, what that did was it limited him. He wasn't actually even attempting the tackles. He was riding them, which I can understand because he doesn't want to get himself sent off. Um, and a more experienced player probably knows how to play when they go into the book early in the game. I've seen it plenty of times with Evans. Evans will get booked early in the game, yet you're never fearful of him being sent off because he's such an experienced old head. And I'm guessing Barr didn't start because he was injured. In the last game, he went off with a knock, didn't he? But he didn't look like he was injured. He came on and was brilliant. I thought he was. I thought. I thought if you, the half an hour he was on the pitch, he was the best player on the pitch in that thirty minutes. He was outstanding. Just yeah. the temp. The tempo raised considerably. Everybody else on the pitch raised the game. You saw players like Roberts um, and Clark, in particular, who'd been pretty quiet. or hadn't had played very well. All of a sudden, they were involved in everything, and it it just felt like he was the missing piece in that square of attacking players who, which just allowed us to, to thrive and, and flourish a little bit. We came out second half and it was a it was kind of bitty for the first 10 minutes. But like you said, we started stepping it up just you know five minutes before he went off. And like you said, with that chance, with the Ahmad chance, and then we had the chance off the corner. And it was actually from then we started building momentum. And then Misha came off on 62. And then Stewart hit the bar two minutes later, but he was offside. He should have scored that, but thankfully... I wonder if he, it, was I, it was It was difficult to see from the angle I saw on the replay, but I it don't was, know. It was it really was tight. tight. It was really yeah. tight. I'm surprised, the, I'm surprised the linesman gave it because it was so tight. But but I, I think Stewart was over the moon. He'll be, be kind of over the moon. He did uh, give it because uh, it was actually... A, I think it was a bad miss, really, if, if we're honest. Yeah. He should have stuck it away. Although, I'll give him that. The ball did bobble up. Um, just before he was going to hit it, which which didn't help him. But yeah, Stewart at the bar then, I mean, that was only a couple of minutes after Michu came on. And then a minute later, we had Clark at the back post who had a header, who I think he tried to put it back across Cole when he could have maybe could put it towards the goal. And then it was only a minute later when, uh, when, when Stewart scored. So like you said, I mean, you hit the nail on the head, but again, we talked about the tempo in the first half. And as soon as Barr came on, he, he moved the ball within two touches. And I think... Although we've got some fantastic players and at times it looks brilliant, sometimes sometimes our players try and dribble too much. And yeah. I think a lot of players were, were, were guilty of it because, and, and again, I think it comes back to the mentality of who we were playing and, you know, expecting to get three points and expecting to be able to dribble past a few players. I mean, at times mm. they did and it, and it came off and it was brilliant. But I think sometimes what Barr did when he came on was take one touch and move the ball. Yeah. And it just got us moving that little bit quicker rather than Clark trying to take three players on or Roberts or, or Ahmad, which, you know, times the past it, but at times they, they tried to do too much in terms of dribbling. And Barr just, just kind of stepped it up. And like I said, we had three chances in, in kind of within four minutes of them coming on and, and we got the goal. Yeah. You, you mentioned there about players dribbling too much. Clark was probably the most guilty of it for me. Just too much all of the time. Three, four, five touches when he should just be playing a five-yard pass, or you know when he was getting into dangerous areas, then trying to take his man on again. But for our goal, Clark done what he hadn't really done at all in the game and played an early cross. I mean, Blackpool. To be fair, that we're watching it now, the defenders don't really put any pressure on him. 
they sort of they're expecting him to to try and run at them because that's all he'd done in the in the opening hour or so. Um, he delivers the ball back stick, which is it's a pretty innocuous ball because it, it, there's nobody really waiting there to knock it in or anything. But what it does do, it forces Blackpool to try and clear it, and they don't clear it well enough. And my favourite part of that whole move and then goal by us was Hume's reading of the situation. So you what again? We're just watching it here. The ball comes in. The Blackpool defender doesn't clear it particularly well. And what Hume does is, rather than wait for the ball to drop, which is what a lot of players would do, because it was it was one of them, you know, it, although it was there to be won, I think the majority of players just stand there and wait for it to drop again because it looks like it's the Blackpool player's ball to win. Hume thinks, nah, sod this, flies in under no real pressure because the Blackpool player doesn't expect it, wins the header and puts it into a dangerous area and... I keep saying this about our strike. Ross Stewart's a really good finisher and he's got that instinct. He's got a proper poacher's instinct. You know, you look at him, you don't really think he'd be a poacher, but he is. And Hume's header into a dangerous area results in Stewart just flicking it towards goal and it's in the back of the net. Stewart hasn't got a clue where the goalkeeper is there, but what he does know is the goal's there and he just gets his head on it, flicks it. It all happens far too fast for the goalkeeper who's actually not too far away from the ball. And it's one all, and it just shows that although we do score a lot of really good goals, we saw that the other night. You know, sexy goals as a lot of people have coined it. <laughs> Sometimes the the direct route one stuff is just as effective, and we've got players who can who can score those types of goals. Because, like I said, you look at Stuart, you think, you know, he's probably more the more you sort of knock it long and head it type of striker. In this situation, he was that striker, and he got himself on the end of it, and. Another goal for him. Can't complain, can we? No, and and it's right. I mean, sometimes you play these play these sides. You know, you play the likes of Blackpool, and and they make it they make it a horrible game. They try their best to make it that type of game, and sometimes, and this was the first time we did it, in, in pretty much the whole game where we kind of played the percentages. We didn't try and kind of you know, and don't get us wrong. I love it when we do it. Try and dribble past a player, or we try to play that lovely slide rule pass or whatever. We. We played the percentages, and you talk about Jack Clark's cross. I think that was a, I think that was a brilliant cross. It was, yeah, like cracking ball to the back post. It was begging, you know, if someone was in the right position, that that was, that was all it needed was a, was a nod into that back post. But cracking ball into the right area, which which made Blackpool do something and and kind of made them panic because when when the ball was when the ball was cleared and like as you said, Trey Hume came in, it was because they were on the back foot, and then all Trey Hume did. A bit like what Jack Clark did with a ball in, just played the percentages again and kept the thing alive and put it back into a dangerous area. And and I mean, I think we've got to probably admit that it was maybe more luck that it kind of went straight onto Ross Stewart's head. But um, but I don't think there was much luck about the touch that Ross Stewart had when it, when it got there. Um, mm. he, he kind of did what he does, and um, and yeah, brilliant. I mean, like, like you said, the the anticipation for for Trey Hume. Because he kind of, I think he thought he was going to be challenged the way he went up because he kind of he, he kind of just went for it all all in, um, and, and thankfully he did because because uh, Stewart got the touch. Yeah, and then we kept up the pressure. I felt like at that point, if anybody was going to win the game, it'd be us because we were totally on top, and we probably should have won it about ten minutes after the goal. Ross Stewart, I mean, we're just watching it again here. Ahmad advances into the box, puts it onto his left foot. Crosses the ball, you know, mid-range. You just feel like all Stuart's got to do is get a body part on it because Ahmad's put it into a dangerous area. 
the Blackpool defence, nobody reads the run of Ross Stewart, which I just find baffling because he's the he's the one player on the pitch you want to make sure you don't allow any space in that area. And he, it, it isn't head height. It isn't a height where you'd expect him to use his foot or his knee. So he tries to lower his head to get on the end of it. And even then I'm thinking, he's going to bury this. And I couldn't believe it goes wide. It just hits him and goes <laughs> somehow away from goal with the goal begging. It's an open goal. Goalkeeper's front post. There's no Blackpool players there. All Stuart's got to do is nudge it towards goal and it's 2-1 to us and he misses it. I don't know about you, but I put my house on Ross Stuart in that situation nine times out of ten just to, to stick it away. I can't believe he's missed that. Well, within our team, did it seem like there was like an epidemic of wanting to smash the ball across goal um, <laughs> in, in the game? I don't, I, yeah, like, there was one from got, Clark, wasn't there, where yeah. he where he done it, and he I think it was after I think it was probably later <laughs> later than this in the game, but Clark done the exact same thing with Ahmad. He was the only person in the box, and Ahmad's got to be what five foot five maybe and the ball's seven foot in the air and you go what the hell are you doing yeah. just play it play it across the goal and it's on the ground and it but it's two one it wasn't just it wasn't just the height i mean ahmad got into a fantastic position to, to knock the ball in across to, to stewart i mean and and clark did the same but for some reason when they got into the position they just wanted to smash it as hard as they could across goal and i, yeah. I couldn't really get it the thing is with the stewart chance as well you know he's he's kind of that tall that he tried to actually duck into it to get his head on it, which if if he kind of just just ran into the ball, it probably just in. would have yeah. went in. <laughs> he yeah. tried to kind of he almost had to duck down like about a foot to to get to the ball, and if he just kind of kept on running, it probably would have been a goal. But yeah, I, I, I couldn't understand that, it, and and it wasn't just those two as well. I think there was there was another couple of occasions where we got into good positions and just tried to smash the ball across goal. Um, you know, normally. You know, we've got the, the the players we're talking about lift their head up and play, you know, a perfect pass into into the box and kind of look up. But uh, yeah, it was I don't know, it was, it was just one of those days, and that that's that's where the frustration comes from, though. That we talked about at the beginning. Yes, we got a point. I'll take it with the way the game went, but we got into so many of these positions that on another day we would have had three or four. Yeah, I mean, we've watched this. It, it's just on repeat while we're talking and. Um... Yeah, I don't know how he that. hasn't scored. It's it's. <laughs> uh, I mean that that's like something Altador used to do or James Vaughan, not Ross Stewart. But we'll let him off. He scores enough goals. Oh, that, um, to be fair, you know, generally to be speaking, fair, like I said, that that ball was. We're watching it in slow motion. That ball was smashed at him. Yeah, yeah. Although, like when you were talking about that, I'm wondering if the pace on the ball was necessary just to get it into the gap that he needed to get it into because. You look at the way Stewart's running onto it, and the players in between. It's it's really, it's, I don't know. It, I think I think Ahmad's got one chance to get the ball there at the right time, which he does. And I think you know you just expect any part of that to hit Stewart and go in. And I, can't, I don't know how it's gone across actually, because if you look, even though he doesn't get a clean hit on it, Stewart still got his full head on it. He's headed it into the ground. It's not. Yeah. It's not went go. It, it, but yeah, you're right. The pace on the ball is what's took it away from goal. It's not really Stuart, um, and I'm, I'm yeah, I'm definitely not criticizing him. Whatever, because I think we we put a piece on the site after the after the Wigan game, the talking tactics bit, um, and James did a really good job of just explaining the the impact of Ross Stewart. And I think he's I think on I mean I'm terrible at summarizing stats, but Stewart's got the best chance conversion per ninety minutes in the league. He, he basically has he's, the amount of goals he scored have came with very few chances. 
So we'll let him off. You know, he, he's not going to score them all. I just think in that situation, you're expecting him to, to smash it into the back of the net. But yeah, we, we, we kept plugging on for the rest of the game. It was one of them, though, where I feel like, you know, if we'd had another five or six minutes, we'd have won that game because we were just coming into our own in the, in the, <laughs> in the sort of early stages of injury time. And I'm sat there thinking, you know, a couple more minutes and we win this, but it wasn't to be, unfortunately. I think... Um, even despite the fact they got that red card, we we kept piling on the pressure. We we tried our best, but it just didn't happen in the end. Actually, I just want to say though that even though we were piling on the pressure, one thing we were one thing we kept on doing, which really frustrated us, and it's it's something we've kind of done all season on and off. Because at times I thought we were going to actually lose our point because we gave far too many free kicks away in dangerous areas again, wide, yeah. on the flanks. And we, we've done it time and time again. It's got to be something we, we cut out of our game because uh, we've talked so much about our lack of height and that we're, we're not great at defending set pieces. And we give so many free kicks away in wide positions in dangerous areas. And, and we just need to need to cut that out. But yeah, like you said, I just think it was one of those days. And, and you say you say we needed 10 more minutes, but honestly, with, with kind of how the afternoon went, I think it was one of them where if we'd played all night, it would have still been 1-1. Man the match then on Twitter. It was given to Trey Hume by our followers. Um, the options I gave were Ahmad Rostua, Trey Hume, Abdullah Bar. Hume came out with 47% of the vote. Second place was Ahmad with 28.6. In the comments, we had four or five mentions for Jack Clark, which I'm a little bit surprised by, but I guess it, it shows you that different people's perspectives on the game. You know, not everybody sees it the same way. What I'll say about Clark, though, I think a lot of people have talked about Clark for you know man of the match just because I think actually he was much better than he has been recently I think he's had a bit of a dip in form and I think I think it was good today that he wanted the ball he, he was asking for it and actually he was really positive which yeah I don't know something seems to have been up with him the last couple of games and I think I think a lot of people are just glad he's just he seems to be back yeah, Sean on the Rapport podcast Twitter account gave it to Hume he says Hume edges it with the assistant performance overall, but tempted to go with Barr simply for the impact he made. Hume gets it for me. I mean, Andy gave it in the player ratings on the website. I just think, um, yeah, brilliant performance from Trey Hume. I know it's not it's not just about the assist, though. That was pretty much the cherry on top of the cake. But been, like I said before, just been really, really impressed with Trey Hume generally as a sort of the impact he's made coming into the team. It's as though he's always been there. And I know a lot's made of Lyndon Gucci's leadership qualities and as a voice on the pitch and stuff and I've actually been really impressed with that side of things from Hume as well he's clearly noted that he's he's got to be a presence on the pitch as well when we're trying to manage games and he was the one out in the press after the Wigan game talking about the, the performance and stuff and he spoke really well just yeah really impressed with Trey Hume think he deserves it one thing I think it's worth mentioning about you know you, you talked about man of the match in there and I think you had Ahmad in there but I think it's worth just touching again on on this partnership with that Ahmad and Roberts seem to have. Yeah. That w- whenever they get the ball, the other one is always kind of five, ten yards away from them. They try and stick together, almost move around the pitch together. And, and when one of them's got it on a flank, you'll find, and it's normally on the right hand side because obviously whoever's central goes over to to that right hand side. But they, they they kind of drift together, and whenever they get the ball, they always look for each other. And and it just mm. again it's a, it's going to be an interesting one to see how how that goes because will Mowbray stick with that and try and I think you might have said after the Wigan game or it was before the Wigan game that he has to try and 
get these two together in a team. And I, I don't think Mowbray quite knows if this is the best way to do it or if he's going to think of another way to do it. But it's going to be interesting because I think now that they've got that link, they, they kind of have to play together because of the way they're playing. Mm. But it's going to be interesting to see what changes Mowbray makes when players come back to see if Roberts and Ahmad stay on the side together, but in, in a system similar to what we had today. It's a tough one when you think about it. You know, you've got all these players who you need to try and fit into the team. We were on about it after the uh, after the Wigan game. I think Martin was saying maybe trying Roberts off the left. It's a nice headache to have. I mean, I'm not complaining. I think it's just one of them. I think it's a thing that a lot of people have noted, though. I've noticed quite a, in quite a lot of the social media replies we get to the posts around the match and stuff. Lots of people really just enjoy watching Ahmad and Roberts play together. They're on the same wavelength and it's not often you get two players in your team who are on the same wavelength like that. Yeah, for those for those two people who read the preview for, for today's game, um, <laughs> I, I, start, I started off with a sentence basically saying that uh, Tony Mowbray at the minute, and, and actually he's almost created it, which is brilliant from, from his team selection at Wigan, but he's got, he's got selection headaches that most managers in the Championship would absolutely love to have. Yeah, yeah. Well, he, we thought he had one with... Um, with Ellis Sims, obviously, <laughs> there with Stuart. Uh, we might as well quickly talk about that before we um, round things off because we haven't had a chance to really discuss it. But yeah, he's went back to Everton. Frank Lampard thinks that uh, the best thing for Ellis Sims and Everton is to recall him. So he's now a Premier League player. I'm, uh, I feel sorry for him in a way, you know. I, I think that I think that when he was just hitting his stride, he had come back from an injury straight back in the team because Stuart was also injured, so he had a free hit at it. And although I think his, his all-round performances have been lacking, like I think on Thursday at Wigan, I actually don't think he played particularly well, but I don't care when you're putting it in the back of the net. Just don't care. Strikers just, to me, that they're on the job, they're, they're on the pitch to score goals. He was in the right place at the right time for his goal. In recent weeks, you know, he, he's done similar. I think against Millwall was probably his best game for Sunderland. There's there's a lot about Sims's game I enjoy. There's a lot about his game I think isn't particularly great. I think that you know, given he's not a guaranteed starter for us in the championship, it's unfair to expect him to be able to do that in the Premier League. And I just I'm I'm just disappointed in that sense because I think the best place for him was probably Sunderland. And it doesn't it doesn't massively affect us as we've seen today. You know, we've got on with it. We we got on with it when him and Stuart were injured. You know, we found a way around it. And I'm sure we will with this. We'll bring in other players. We'll we'll crack on, you know. Um, but it's just a shame, isn't it? Shame that he's not with us. Well, yeah. There's a message in here somewhere, and I can't decide what it is because does it tell you where Everton are at the moment that they need to take a player who was really? I mean, if we if we admit it, he was really struggling to to nail down a place in our starting eleven. Yeah. And they've taken they've taken him back because they want him to to help them out in the Premier League, or does it tell you? more about how far we've come in the last 12, 18 months that actually we've got a player who couldn't really get into our side week week in, week out and Everton have taken mm. him back to, to play in the Premier League. So there's a message in there somewhere. There's maybe a bit of both. I don't know. But um, but yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head with, with Sims's game. I thought I, I liked him. I thought he, he came up with he came up with the goals when we needed them. He, he, he was kind of almost that fox in the box. Um, but a lot of his game did frustrate us and it did frustrate um, a few people. But I thought he was a cracking option. To, I mean, as much as he wouldn't have liked that, Sims coming off the bench um, is a good option if you need a goal last last kind of 
10 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever. But yeah, it's a strange one. I, I don't know if it says more about us or, or Everton. I think we can probably use it to our advantage, though, because we're trying to recruit now in January. And if you're Sunderland talking, there'll be really good young forwards and Premier League squads who need loan moves. And we won't be the only team in for them. And it'll be it'll be a case of when you're going to them, you're obviously trying to make your, your presentation to these players about why they should come and play for Sunderland. And we can point at Sims and go, well, you see him, he came to us, he scored goals in the Championship, we gave him minutes on the pitch, and his pairing club deem him good enough to now be as part of their Premier League team. You look at Ahmad, who wasn't getting anywhere near at Man United, had had a poor loan spell at Rangers, has come to Sunderland, and now people are talking about him as when he goes back to Man U, he's going to be part of their first team plans because he's that good. And we can use all this situation to our advantage and say to players who we're trying to sign, you know, look, yes, it's not it's not ideal for us that this player went back, but look what we did for his development. So I think it can be a good thing. They'd never admit this, but I can honestly see Speakman and, and his team almost rubbing their hands together because they've got a space in the squad, thinking, right, well, we've got this list of players we've been scouting you know who who's next on our list i mean because yeah. actually i think the way they'll look at this is almost like that they'll turn it into a positive and they'll see well sims has left and he was useful was he actually pushing stewart or was he always going to be used for the bench i mean i suppose we'll never know now but it's it's an opportunity it's an opportunity to bring someone in who you know maybe on a permanent maybe a young lad <laughs> might see the next bennett or something like that yeah i mean yeah. I, I just Honestly, with with this team we've got now, this recruitment team, I just think it's it's exciting when we've clearly got a gap in the squad that we need replacing. Because I think with only having Stewart, you're guaranteed we're going to bring someone in, and I'm I'm looking forward to seeing who it is. We uh, asked the people over on the Rotor Report Twitter account to give us their three word reviews of the game. We might as well round up with these. Uh, Eric Platten says, "I'll take that." Uh, Paul Robson says, "Stuart rocks Blackpool." DC says magnificent performance 09. Ryan says the Mowbray Babes. Uh Hazy says Lochness Drogba. Uh, Grant Smith says must keep Stuart. Aslan says amazing, unlucky and deserved. Uh Mark Evans says just pay him. Obviously, that's in <laughs> reference to Ross Stewart. Uh let's quickly talk about that actually. So there's been quite a lot of newspaper talk over the last few days about his future. I know that everyone wants him to sign a new contract. I think we've we've talked about this on the pod before. I said the other week that I think whilst um whilst everybody wants this to happen, my good feeling is it won't happen now. It'll happen, but it'll happen probably in the summer. I think that the um the noise we're hearing in the press is all agent driven because you've only got to look at who's dropping the story. It's Alan Nixon from the Sun. And it's everybody knows that he is just an agent's dream because all he does is pushes their narrative through the press. So I know there's been stuff written about the the teams who apparently want him. I think Brentford have been mentioned. Uh, Rangers have been mentioned. We've heard about how Sunderland's best offer is only three times what he's being paid currently, and that's only ten grand. Um, that the offer is ten grand apparently from Sunderland, and you know Premier League teams aren't going to pay that. They're going to pay a lot more. We're only really hearing one side of the story here, aren't we? But what do you feel about that situation? Are you worried about that? Because I'll personally, I'm not. I actually think, regardless of Sims leaving, he's safe as houses. We've got 18 months. We don't have to even think about this now. And it benefits him and the agent a lot more 
to push for a new deal now because clubs will come in for him. It might force Sunderland's hand to pay him more. You don't know. So I actually think I'm pretty chill about it. I don't see Sunderland selling Ross Stewart right. in this window. That's the top and bottom of it. Because I, I was going to ask you, what what are you chilled about? Are you chilled about the fact you don't think he'll leave or are you chilled about the fact if he does leave that we'll, we'll replace him well? I'm chill because I don't think he'll leave. I mean, if he did right. leave, which I don't think will happen... Then I I think we we do a solid job of finding a championship striker. Whether you can replace Ross Stewart, you know, a different discussion altogether. But I just don't think he's going anywhere. I don't, I don't think that that's stupid. I I just all I think this is. I think all this talk is because he he wants a new deal, and when it comes to contract negotiations, clubs are clubs are going to play hardball, and you've got it, it comes down to who do you think holds all the cards here. Does the player hold the cards because he's playing well, teams are interested in him? Or do the club hold the cards because they just go, regardless of all this, you're our player for the next 18 months. We don't have to do this now. And that that's why I'm pretty chilled because I think although it benefits Stuart and it benefits whoever's representing him to, to drive up interest in the press and create discontent among Sunderland fans on social media who are reading things like this, ultimately the, the, the important thing is, is not what happens on social media. It's It's... Does Sunderland actually need to give him a deal now? Do I want them to? Yes. I'd love Sunderland to give Ross Stewart a new deal. I'd love them to pay what he's worth and, and all the rest of it. But it's not my money that they're playing with, you know, and and they actually do have time on their side. I think 18 months is, is still a decent amount of time and this discussion is to be had in the summer, maybe. So although the talk's not going anywhere, I, I, actually, I, I don't think people are going to get what they want. They're not going to get that new deal. It's not going to be underlined. It's just going to be a case of... It's going to be a pretty annoying month and we're going to have a lot of talk about our best player leaving. That That's the bottom line for me. We don't need to sell. That is the bottom line. We don't need to mm. sell, especially in January. I mean, there are lots going on. We don't know what's going on behind the scenes in terms of where Ross Stewart's head's at because, you know, if someone, someone from the Premier League does come knocking and Stewart thinks it's his only chance. But we've got to keep in mind as well that Ross Stewart has been out for pretty much the whole of the first half of the season. He's had what? How long was he out? Three, two months, two and a bit months, yeah. something like that. I mean, he had he missed a lot of football, and for a Premier League team to come in in January and pick him up when he's probably only just he's just getting back, you know, just getting his momentum back, getting back into his rhythm, and I, I just don't think a Premier League club might. They'll probably look at that and think, well, that's a massive gamble, especially. Because I, we're gonna we're gonna charge them because we don't need to sell. If Stewart says, "Look, I want to go to the Premier League. This club wants us." We're gonna charge them through the nose because we don't we don't need to sell. And I yeah. think you're right. I, th- I think you're right. And I think it's gonna th- this this discussion is the club will say to Ross Stewart, "Look, you've just come back from fitness. We'll keep negotiating, but this is for the summer." We're not going to disrupt our season. Those clubs will still be sniffing in the summer. You'll still have interest if you're banging the goals in. And let's let's just because we're not going to sell you. So look, let's just talk about it in the summer and get on with it then. So again, mm. yeah, I I just think as you said, we we hold all the cards. We don't need to sell. It might just depend though. The only thing that I might have a slight concern about is how much it does affect Ross Stewart. And if if at some point he just says this might be my only chance, I want to go. That might be yeah. the, the only way he does go. Yeah, the other the other thing is, yeah, you could you could stick a transfer request in, and that would change things because 
it's sort of it's him saying, "Look, I'm done here, and I want to leave," and then that would change the whole narrative about how things are going. But the important thing is, right now, he's playing, he's scoring goals, he's putting in good performances. We're not seeing any obvious drop off in performances. We're not seeing it affect him. So um, that's why I'm chilled out about it. And I, don't get us wrong, I totally understand why people are are a little bit stressed about it. I think the other week when I done a podcast with Craig, he was he thinks that. Stuart should maybe be the exception to the rule when it comes to the the wage structure and stuff. And he thinks, you know, we've got a special player here and we should keep him. I know a lot of people think along those lines, but I, I'm i pretty much on the fence because I just don't think he's going anywhere. We don't, like you've just said, we don't have to sell. I don't think the club are daft enough to sell him because it's impossible to replace him now. In the summer, different story, you know, but right now we couldn't replace him. But here's a scenario for Ross Stewart to think about. What if he waits till the summer and by hook or by crook we'll find ourselves being a Premier League club? We'll we'll then yeah. be offering Ross we'll then be offering Ross Stewart Premier League wages. I mean, who knows yeah. what's gonna happen in the next what five months? Nobody nobody knows that. So, you know, I'm sure that's what they'll be saying to Ross Stewart. Nobody knows what's gonna happen in the next five months. Let let's just talk about it in the summer. Yeah. Well, like I said, I don't think the conversation's going anywhere, but I don't know. I think I just think people are are stressed with good reason, but I also maybe just think of the bigger picture, maybe think about where this news is coming from and whether it's actually a massive concern or not. Again, just going back to that scenario, if he does join someone in the Premier League, it's guaranteed to be someone fighting at the bottom. And what if he takes that gamble and we change positions with them in the summer? Hmm. <laughs> so yeah. so he's got it, why doesn't he play this scenario out at Sunderland, see how it goes for the rest of the season. He might find himself a Premier League player with us. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, like I say, chilled out. Um, we'll quickly round off on this then. Uh, Leighton says shit first half. Steve, 30,000, says three points dropped. The Footy Fusion says Ahmad Diallo unlucky. Joe Graham says should have won that. Stu G says right as shite. Um, Adam Gadsby, poor than class. Um... And Sean on the pod account, let's round off on that, says kids are all right. They are all right. That's the other thing as well, by the way. Very young team we've got, and I expect a little bit more inconsistency than, than we're actually seeing right now. It's good that although we've got a young team that's being disrupted by injuries, illness, and all the rest of it, we seem more consistent now than we were before the World Cup. So, you know, no complaints from me. Any complaints from you? Are you happy? Uh, generally very happy, but just frustrated. We've only taken two points off Blackpool this season. Slightly frustrating. Yeah, yeah, the, 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 they're not anywhere near as good as us, I don't think. But in the two games, they've been competitive, so you've just got to sort of hold your hands up. I mean, the other, like I said, at the very top of this, it was interesting that Jerry Yates was dropped and mm. only got, what, 10, 15 minutes. And like I say, he's a player who's been linked with us, got nine goals in the championship this season, always been impressed when I've watched him. So if that's the type of player we're looking at, then I wouldn't be too disappointed because he's a good player and he scored goals at this level. He didn't look happy when he came on, did he? No. Well, he wouldn't be. Why would you? You know, dropped for a... You know, this was his big moment to show Sunderland why they should sign him and he's given 12 minutes or whatever it was. He's not going to be. And Gary Medine played and everybody knows what he can do. He's pretty useless, so... <laughs> you you, you love know. just churning up the rumour mill, don't you? <laughs> <Crying> <laughs> I must admit at this point, yeah, I must admit at this point I've got no inside knowledge on this. I just think it's in I just find it interesting that Jerry Yates has been linked with Sunderland and then he gets dropped when when he's the best player in the squad, gets dropped when playing against us. Just 
makes us wonder if there's something in it. But there we go. Yeah. So yeah, talking about Nixon, you're just as bad. <laughs> yeah, stop calling us Gav Nixon. Um, <laughs> yeah, point point for Sunderland on the road at Blackpool. Uh, not disappointing whatsoever with that. Like I say, although you know you could make a case that we should have won it. I think it's still a decent point. That leaves us in sixth place in the table. I think there's a fag paper between the playoff spots and. Well, let's look down. We run thirty-eight points, and then QPR and fourteenth are on thirty-five. So there's nothing in it really. But all things considered, a brilliant December, really a brilliant sort of period over Christmas for Sunderland. We've done very well. I think let's have a quick look there. You know, since we returned, we've got a defeat against West Brom, um, a draw away at Hull, beat Blackburn, beat Wigan, drew at Blackpool. I'm not disappointed at all with that. I think that's a that's a a cracking return for us and the fact we're six in the table in the new year is just amazing because I think somebody posted a I think it was Craig actually posted a screenshot of how Sunderland started to 2022 and we started it with defeats to the likes of Cheltenham and in League One and then you look at us where we are now in the in the championship nobody can tell me that they're, they're dis- disappointed with where we're at no, no, absolutely. And you could even go one step further that the games you've just pointed out, we've created such a, a team that we're kind of confident in that actually there's a, there's a couple of results in there like the like the West Brom one and like the Hull one that actually you can be, at Blackpool, you can be a bit frustrated about. So even though even though it's a good run of results and we've done really well, I still there's that slight frustration we haven't picked up more points because we've built yeah. that team. It's, it's, yeah. it's a good place to be. Yeah, brilliant place to be. Um, next game is Saturday in the Cup away at Shrewsbury. So with the amount of injuries we've got, I don't expect us to feel the well change team. I mean, we can make some changes. Let's just quickly look at it. Might as well while we're here. So on the bench today, Sunderland had uh, Leon Diaku. I imagine he'll start that game. Bass, the goalkeeper, I imagine he'll start. Um, Dewey will probably start, I would think. Jay Matete, he'll start. So we haven't really talked about Chris Rigg, but Chris Rigg was on the bench, 15 year old. Bit gutted he never got on. I think maybe if we'd been cruising 3 0 up, he might have got some minutes, but he didn't. But still, great experience for him at 15 year old. Maybe we'll see him in that Shrewsbury game. Uh, he's probably just got to make whatever changes he can make, hasn't he, really, without weakening us significantly? Because there's a handful of ex Sunderland players in that Shrewsbury team who are going to want to get one over on us. Well, yeah, but the school holidays are finished, aren't they? So I don't know whether he'll, be, he'll make uh, he'll make the next game. He might be at school. Or, <laughs> Aye, or, get up early for science or whatever. I mean, absolutely ridiculous um, how young it is. I mean, I, with everything, I've never seen him play, but uh, everything you hear about him and read about him, I'm, I'm excited about him getting. And I wouldn't be surprised. He'd be on the bench, I reckon, Shrewsbury. I, I think Mowbray will give him another goal. Cause what's he got to lose? I don't think anybody's that, you know, we're not kind of fussed about a, a cup run. I mean, don't get us wrong, it'd be nice to, to win. You want to kind of win every game, but I don't think we're going to be majorly disappointed if we go out of the cup. No, no. Um, I don't know if we'll have a preview by then. It's a bit of a weird week, isn't it? So yeah. we'll see, we'll see. But uh, yeah, thanks, Chris. Cheers for the crap, mate, as always. Yeah, thanks for finishing before my voice gives way. <laughs> thanks to the listeners for tuning in. Thanks to everyone who donated to the Southern Community Soup Kitchen fundraiser. I think we are around 50 grand the end of play which is just amazing like i said in the last pod just thanks everybody for your your kind help and stuff and if you're listening to this make sure you listen to all the adverts because every advert that is listened to creates revenue which we donate directly to the soup kitchen we don't take a penny out of ad revenue from this podcast um every penny goes straight to the soup kitchen so 
this is aside from the the fundraiser that we do in December every year. The, the money that we generate from adverts on the pod all goes directly to them. So that's one thing I would say, even though they're a little bit tedious, you hear the same things all the time. You might get an advert for Peter Crouch's podcast or Louis Theroux or something like that. I don't know what they play these days, but yeah, just make sure you listen to it because uh, every penny goes to the soup kitchen. And yeah, thanks very much for joining us. We'll be back probably around the Shrewsbury game and we'll catch you later. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.